This is Out of the Box, where two TV producers and a medium discuss creativity, spirituality, and how the story we tell ourselves can stop us from reaching our full potential. If you're trying to second guess how they will like it or not like it, there's a problem. That's not creative. It's just trying to please and appease what you believe or think that someone might like or want. You know, if you want to feel the world at large, just feel them. And, and then you might shoot your product towards that or aim it towards that. But by and large, second guessing is what stops creativity. Today, I wanted to talk about what I think is potentially the number one reason for creative block or even creative sabotage. The one thing that possibly keeps us inside our box, which is fear. I mean, I think it would be fair to say, Paul, that it is the one theme that comes into our daily life as television producers and coaches every day. I'm not scared to say yes. <laughs> so I I feel the more we understand fear and the more we can unpack it, then we could flip the script, so to speak, and potentially use something that is an obstacle for our to our advantage or alternatively, can we dial down that friggin' narrative, that fear narrative that's in our mind and then maybe we can dial up the inner voice or the spirit or the, the creativity or whatever you may call it. So... Surely the more we understand fear, the, the better we'll be at, at conquering it. Mm. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. I already have some thoughts, but I'll <laughs> hand it over to Ian. Thank you. Fire destroys houses that, that we know, but that's a motherhood. It's what causes the fire. And so if we confine our discussion on fear to what causes fear, we're not going to be much the wiser until we really um, look deeper. <clears throat> As humans, um, fear is endemic. It's taught to us. There's a fear of, because we're so reliant as a, as a child upon being fed, there's a fear of not being fed. And as we grow older, if we do something to which our parents or other people in authority disagree, there's a fear of some sort of punishment or deprivation, even if that's emotional, well, especially if that's emotional. We get to school, the whole system runs on fear of not doing what the teacher wants, a fear of not getting the result that your parents want for you. We leave school and we move into society and there's a fear of doing something wrong and breaching a law, and therefore um, the state exacts a, a penalty or a punishment against us. So the whole system uh, on earth is based upon it works through fear. That's on one side. The converse argument is this. We know there's a fear, so how do we cope as a child how do we grow and do things which children do in varying degrees? We do it because a parent or both parents cast a protective pall over us or over their children generally. 
And it's in that protective pull that we're able to move forward because we feel protected and that's a stronger feeling than the fear. So the fears are retardant and and the protection is, is an accelerant if we're thinking afar. That allows us to move forward. Now, the flip side of that, and, 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 and so I'll go back, that only works so long as that pool of protection is there. And that can often include protecting you at school from um, abuse from teachers or unfair treatment from all forms of um, persons in society. But then we get to adulthood and we're ill-prepared because there's no one there to cast that pall of protection over us. And all of a sudden we're on our own and we don't know how to do that. We're not trained for that. Now, ostensibly, parents will say, oh, we release the child to become um, more and more independent as they get older. That's true to some degree, but at the same time, there's not much discussion on fear and and how that's the negative, how that's holding them back. And therefore, there's a direct correlation between independence and fear. As we get to becoming an adult and we move into the big bad world, we won't necessarily get that protection. If we're in a workplace, that will depend entirely upon the type of the style of person who's your particular boss at a point in time. If you're in a relationship, you might be protected in a wonderful relationship by your partner and in in return protect them. But that's not necessarily so. You might reproduce what your parents did and protect your children, or you might not if you're overly fearful. Therefore, fear becomes a lack of independence, and that's what's holding people back more than just fear. Fear is the outcome, not Mm. the root cause. And a lack of independence is going to come from a lack of self-belief in yourself. So that then comes back to we need to be taught about who we are and what we're here for and is a greater purpose. And we have a role to fill and that's more important than avoiding it. So it becomes a circular argument to, to some degree if we take it back to creatives and um, we say that in, in your creative world, creatives have a block, therefore nothing comes. Well, let's look at that scenario. A creative has a block. At that point, they're tight and tense within themselves and they're insular. So their world envelops upon themselves. And at that point in time, they feel smaller and smaller, tighter and tighter, and they're frozen with fear. No question they're frozen with fear. But what they don't do is go out of themselves enough. Now, they might come to you for help, but all you can do is release them to be bigger than what they're being at that point in time. Release them from that need to be so insular. So if we if we forget for the, for the at that point in time the word fear... And we think of them being too insular. Mm. All all any creative needs to do is walk around the block. <laughs> if, it's that simple. And if yeah. their eyes are open, yeah. they must come back motivated. Mm. Having come back motivated, if they then don't turn that into a product because they haven't um, thought about it, well, then it's because they don't really want it. Mm. And they might not want it for lots of reasons. Usually the self-belief is not strong enough and I accept that that's when the fear comes in but it's it's deeper than that. They mm. just, they're in the wrong job. Mm. 
they're in the wrong job. Now, we all will have a block at a point in time, but if it's a permanent or ongoing issue for someone, they're not, a, they're not a true creative because you can't be a creative stuck in your world. You have to have an imagination. You have to watch and understand from nature, from the stars, from people, from everything, the good and the bad. And that's where creativity will, will start from. Mm. I, I, I love this metaphor of fear being a retardant. Um, and, you know, it makes me think of, you know, if, if you are, I think of those telegraph posts. Okay. So in South Australia, they have the metal and the concrete ones in Victoria, we have the wooden ones. Obviously one needs a retardant and the other one doesn't because one has no way it will burn. So this idea of the retardant makes us feel comfortable and and we go, yeah, I get that. You know, it's important. We don't want everything to set on fire, but not everything needs a retardant. Correct. And so that's an interesting thing how sometimes we put this around us to protect ourselves when we have no way of ever becoming burnt. Mm -hmm. And so that then doesn't enable us to be free and transform because we're restricting ourselves with this retardant. Totally agree. There's a, there's a further thought to that, Paul. People have formed a belief that they shouldn't be hurt, mm. and that's erroneous. Life means that you're going to be hurt, and it's how we deal with it, how we cope with it, and how seriously we take it, and who hurts us is what matters. And we ought not be fearful of getting hurt because it's going to happen. And it's going to happen most days and it's going to happen by people who um, innocently or maliciously will set out to hurt us. And and as an aside, the worst hurts will come from those devious enough to attack your strength, not your weakness. Mm. Because once you begin to question your own strength, you're in trouble and it takes help and assistance to get through that. They're the worst type of people who would set out to do that. And there are plenty of them in the world. So I'm therefore saying that those who are fearful or hurt do need help. But not everyone does because we should expect that there's a degree of hurt and we should expect that we need to be robust enough to get through it. So it really doesn't matter as much as it's made out. And can I just circle back to the relationship between fear and self-belief? What about when someone is so full of belief that they are, or maybe it's fake, that they're actually egotistical? So where's the relationship between fear and ego? In terms of ego, people who are egotistical, if nothing else, they're egotistical because they've formed a view they're good at something. And so it becomes a repetitious act that they perform that they're very confident about and they're therefore egotistical about. And in that sense, ego means they feel better than those around. And the only way to test that is to get them to perform things that they're not so good at, which they'll resist. And then we have a loss of ego and then we'll see the real person. So therefore, ego is insular. It brings us back into that insular lack of experiment, a lack of trying, and they'll just um, wander around with a puffed chest in a small crowd and they'll never grow as people and they'll never influence many people other than that little bit of stuff that they know. So they're not really in life. They're just on the periphery um, play acting. And we ought not take 
those who are so egotistical too seriously because they're not adding much to the argument of life. They're there for their own um, grandiosement and, 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 and self-appeasement. And the crowd is to feed them. They're a bad example to learn from, but we don't have to worry about that because most people are actually repelled by the overly egotistical <laughs> and they'll pull back from them. Therefore, those who are overly egotistical will get exactly what they ask for. They'll end up alone. And then the fear comes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it, it's unavoidable, inescapable for them. Yep. They're driving themselves to a place of fear. It just shows how everything is connected to fear, though, because self-belief, oh, <clears throat> ego, independence, there, there's a fine line between all of those, mm. like the ebbs and flows of them. But it feels like it does come back to fear, and then it's what's below that again. Yes. Is fear unique to humans? Is there a difference between outbound fear and inbound fear, or is that even a thing? I was just, when you were talking about that, there's a a sense of pushing out fear, and then there's a sense of being stopped by fear. A lot of that, whether fear is inward or, or, or outward or both, will come back to how well you know yourself. If In my case, if someone's fearful and present themselves before me, I'll know straight away that they're fearful and I'll feel that they're fear. But I'm able to say that's their fear and I'm able to discuss their fear with them. But very few people can do that. Therefore, they'll take on that fear, they'll feel it and believe it's part of their own fear mm-hmm. and scratch their head trying to work out what the heck am I fearful about other than I know I am. So in that respect, it spreads, it's pervasive, and it will cause a change in your behavior, but for no good reason. Fear in reality is, is within you, but you'll share it. You'll share it. And fear comes in degrees all of the time, and it's in our daily life. It, again, it's unavoidable. You take yourself off to a doctor to get a test of significance you might feel relaxed but there's an anxiety which is a fear because you're unsure of the outcome and you're hopeful that the outcome will be a when it might well be a minus so until you get the result there's a fear then you get the result there's a relaxation and you forget it and get on with life and mm. become fearful over the next thing it is as part of our everyday being but we don't recognize it except in the big things and because we're not free to express we don't talk about fear how often in your workplace in a large workplace small workplace do we say i'm fearful today i'm fearful a, 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 a tradesman says i'm actually feeling i don't know why but i'm fearful of climbing on that roof today and they need to listen to that mm. and they need some help to talk through that what it is but that doesn't happen other than get over yourself and climb the ladder onto the roof. And, and there's a reason, something driving that tradesman at that point in time. The same in a relationship. If you haven't got an ability to express your fear, well, then there's something lacking in the relationship. I'm fearful. I'm feeling this pain. I'm fearful. You talk about the fear of finances, but you won't talk about the fear within you over all sorts of other issues, in, including a drifting apart, including fearful for your children over something small that's happened. So a relationship generally is not big enough to to give you an ease to to express your fear and to move past it. So in daily life, we need to learn to express and move past fear. Mm-hmm. I love that. So instead of just face the fear and do it anyway, which is that 
you know. Susan Jeffries. Yeah, for years what we've been brought up on or um, Dance with Fear. And, I mean, it, there's a myriad of books, particularly in the creative world, but really is it labelling it and recognising it first? I, absolutely. I, I want to take you to Sigmund Freud and in the work that he did, he would, um, in part of his work, he would take people back into past lives. And and he was a very spiritual person, and that was part of his belief system. Is, that was part of his belief system. And let's imagine that their problem, that they had a phobia. And he, he did this in, in searching reasons for phobias. Let's let's imagine that the phobia was, um, I was bitten by a snake, therefore I have a, in a, private in a past life and it killed me therefore i have a phobia of being bitten by a snake this time which is going to kill me prematurely what sigmund said is that he'd take people or they'd go back he'd help them to get back there and they would then come back 50 50 half of them would say well that was back then i was killed by a snake it's irrational that i'll be bitten and killed by a snake this time so i can forget it and the other half say well, I was killed by a snake, so it's entirely justified <laughs> to, to feel that fear now. So I'm able to embed it in me as a real phobia. That's and, brilliant. And so therefore it's 50-50. So it, we can't make these grand statements mm. to cover the world. Mm. Face your fear. Well, face your fear can justify it as well as, say, get over it. Yeah. It's mm. not enough. See, that's part of what's wrong with society, this kick your butt and expect that that will work. That that works in the military because everyone's so fearful of punishment, but it doesn't work outside of institutions like that. So, but I suppose, as you said, if it's unavoidable, it's right. just recognising when it's the real narrative or, uh, you know, the script that you've been telling yourself right. versus the truth within. Yeah, and then leaning into what is that actual fear because often it's not the first thing that presents mm. itself so never will be never that. will be so the idea of fear of failure and i and i get the you know feel the fear and do it anyway in in some respects you know feel of fear of failure is not then well go and fail it's actually really lean into what does failure look like what is it you're really scared of and maybe that is the thing you should do in order to realize that it's okay and there's a learning in that but it's different to the fear of putting your hand in a fire and burning it you wouldn't do that because that's just stupid you know <laughs> and so there's different types too isn't there true a lot of fear of failures will go back to a fear of disappointment of a parent and let's take a hypothetical i'm fearful of disappointing my dad if I try and get it wrong, he'll be disappointed. So it's easier not to try. So he won't be disappointed because I can't stand him being disappointed. I have such a need to please him. And that can be for good reasons or negative reasons to avoid a punishment. So in that case, they need to recognize that that's their driver. And the best thing they can do is go and have a chat with their dad and say, I'm not necessarily putting this at your feet, but your behavioural patterns were this, which has caused me to have a fear of disappointing you. And that stays with me even though we're distant and I'm older now. So can you explain to me you know, what caused you to behave like that? And was that your intended outcome? 
And in the main, you'll get something that's affirmative for you. But if you don't, you're then in a position um, to say, well, you know, I have to learn to disregard that fear of disappointing my father and stand on my own two feet because I'm now an adult and I have a separate journey. And children, by the time a a child, forgive the language, is is 31, they're meant to be independent of of their parents. They're meant to be able to stand on their own two feet um, and, and forge their own path and see their parents differently. And that's important. We need to see our parents as people who are wiser with age but don't necessarily know what's right for you. And and a wise parent will say, I got that wrong. Well, that was right at the time. It was good advice, I thought, at the time for these reasons. But let it go. And if the parent can't tell you that, then you have to have the desire to um, to do it for yourself. If people were listening and starting to recognise that they're riddled with fear mm. and there's some elements of fear where they'll label it or express it, what happens next? The needs, well, well, if they begin to recognise that they're riddled with fear, they're recognising reality, they then have a decision, do I, do I want to stay that way? Do I want to stay in that state of fear? And what's an acceptable state of fear and what's not? We become fearful about things that aren't so important. That's the problem. We're entitled to be fearful as we're crossing a road and there's a truck bearing down upon us. That's very much entitled to be. And as a young person, you might be fearful at a physical threat and so forth. But we have to be much less fearful fearful in the course of daily living and and that will be at work more than anywhere else because that brings situations where so much is expected of you to behave other than you are as a person so you're in some corporate norm not your norm and if that the two don't match you're a misfit and you won't mm. go but that's an aside what people have to do is to say those fears are unimportant those fears of how I present and how I look um, before I go in to see the chief executive officer aren't so important. I, I need to forget that. And for all of those people who go in to see their boss, no matter what their title, and they stop and check their appearance before they enter the room, that's a fear. That's That might be a minor level of fear, but it's a fear. And it's a fear of a rejection because of the way they look. And that's nonsensical. So we're embedded with fears that are so trivial that we need to start to get a self-belief that says if someone rejects me for that, I would prefer to be rejected Mm. rather than live in a world where that's important. Mm. And that's where we need to get to. And in a way, choosing to focus on that doesn't enable you to be vulnerable or expose the side of you Correct. you know by, by focusing on the suit and what the hair looks like you in that moment with that conversation with the boss it's not authentic Correct. because you're not connecting Correct. on the inside with each other you're Correct. only connecting on the surface very few conversations with a boss are authentic mm. because everyone's playing a role mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work how much does given circumstances influence fear? Can you explain? Well, we talk about the 
in nature, for example, the antelope running through a field of knee-high grass or shoulder-high grass, you know, an antelope is camouflaged and probably unlikely to be taken by a lion. But, you know, an antelope going through a a meadow that's recently been burnt and there is no grass, their camouflage is not going to help them in that situation. You know, so what makes them is the... Is the fear there present all the time for the fact that a lion might eat them or is the fear connected to the given circumstances? I hope that makes sense. Yeah, perfectly. Well, I'd like to draw a line between the animal and the human because I'm not convinced that, and it's no different with a rabbit, I, I'm not convinced that they stop through fear they stop through just checking the environment to see if they need to be perturbed and whatever that means. We as humans are the ones who are fearful in in an environment where we're exposed because that's the essence of what you're saying. When you're exposed and you're raw and people can see in, we're more fearful because we're fearful that we're not good enough. We won't be accepted because of who we are. So what role do we play? What do we do? You go for a job interview. How often do you sit in a relaxed way or do you sit mirroring the other person? Are we not taught to do all of these clever little things so as people don't know us? And that's based out of a fear um, of, of exposing ourselves. Ask someone, tell me about yourself. They'll tell you about their career. They'll tell you about all sorts of things, but they won't tell you about themselves because that's to be avoided. They're fearful that that will cause them to be ostracized. They're not good enough. We're not recognized. And, and, and sorry, I'll go back. Um, when I was young in a corporate career, you know, the big story was imagine the chief executive in a pair of underpants and you just go in there and you... <laughs> um, and so therefore he's human. And I, I use the word he because that's all there was back in, in those days. Um, but But that's... That's not enough. You're not human because you have a human body. You're human because you have feelings and because you have emotions. And if people were more brave to express their concerns, express who they are, and if that doesn't fit whoever you're with, colleagues, um, friends, then you're, you're a misfit. You need to move on. So we have a fear of moving on as well, a fear of recognizing that we don't belong here anymore. But that's something that, that all of us face all through life. Every time we change, we're going to lose people. And that brings with it a fear, not not only what will I do without that person, but will that person be replaced? So there's a lack of belief that life will present new things for you. And if I leave this, so what I'm saying is that we can reduce a lot of our fears by actively putting behind us um, situations where we don't fit. And in the case of the antelope, it doesn't fit in that barren field. Don't go in it. Mm. So it, fear can be our compass or a north star. Oh, yes. So you do need to recognize it, but it's how you use it. It's it's recognize it, recognize its gravity or lack of, and act accordingly. If we put too much energy into a, a small fear we've wasted time and effort we mm. need to register most fears and forget them they will be just part of the environment we're being our body's scanning always for for threads 
But it's not scanning in, in, in a way of fear. It's just scanning like an animal does. It's, it's, it's when our terrific mind comes in and interposes itself and then, and then we do all sorts of silly things and we create things to be bigger than they are. So we can change our outlook to fear. We can reduce it through realism. I love this. It makes me realize that really, if everyone's feeling fear, there's nothing to be scared about. Correct. And they are. Because <laughs> actually poor. in life, you you know, like the the lion is, is an apex predator designed to kill an antelope. But if we're all wandering around f- scared that someone's going to kill us, but actually the person who's the supposed, you know, predator is equally in as much fear, then what is there to be scared of? Mm-hmm. Great. Liberating. It is. Uh, talk to any number of CEOs of large organizations that you'd like, they're the most fearful of any group of people that I've ever come across. They're fearful because they're insecure. They're fearful of their job. They're fearful of the future. They're fearful of just about everything. And maybe because they're all in this community of not being vulnerable, then they're presenting something that maybe is not connected to value. And that's why we have these clubs and these gross Mm. sort of boys clubs and networks that are not contributing to society. They're just extracting because it comes from a place of fear. So we should be sad for them, not look up to be one of them. Correct. And they're allowing the egotistical to remain egotistical because they're not doing anything different at all. Mm. And and their their gross behaviour is only to the underlings. Never to anyone else. Mm. Speaking of the lion makes me think of courage. And people often say you need courage to overcome the fear. But if you were acting in accordance to just who you are, then it's likely you don't ever need courage because you just be you. That's the truth. And that's the aspiration. It's just not the reality. Yeah. We, well, well, you know, courage is the antidote to fear. And and my guy, Crazy Horse, always has said he never had any courage because he never had any fear. He didn't need any. So the amount of courage you have is pari pasu in direct proportion with um with with the amount of fear that you have. Um. Now from from there. I'm not sure that courage is the only answer, though, because instead of courage, I believe we need encouragement. Mm. And that comes back to that picture. Encourage us to be who we are, to grow, rather than just the courage to face some one thing. Therefore, there's a, a, you know, a silly belief that we'll have the courage to face the next thing, but it's situational. <laughs> it, it, it relates to the environment each time. Mm. And we need encouragement each time we face a fear. And that's got to come from someone. So we need that person to talk to where we can freely and openly express and not have that turned against us like a knife. I watched um, a video last night of this school of fish Mm -hmm. 
and they were swimming through the ocean and then a shark came in and sort of created this beautiful dance between the fear of, you know, being killed and the, you know, anyway, it was beautiful to watch, but it was also horrific. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the idea of whether you're in a swarm or in a school or in a tribe that you can feel confident and fearless and encouraged but it changes depending where you are. If you're on the outside, you've Correct. got the the Correct. spirit and the and the energy and the comfort of being, you know, a hundred fish in a in a school. But the person in the fish in the middle of the school is probably less fearful than the fish on the outside. Absolutely. And as a community, I suppose the reason that they're constantly moving and in flux is because they're changing who is on the outer and who is on the inner. Um, you know, like a swarm, like a birds, <clears throat> a flock of birds and stuff. So, how much does that play into fear in in you know in human nature? I don't really know what I'm asking, but, but it was just something that yeah, really no, came to me. The, they're all in the same place, but they're experiencing it slightly differently. I agree, but the fish in that instance would discern a different level of fear. Hmm. and be able to instinctively assess the risk and act differently. With humans, we don't do that. The ones on the outside would be just as fearful as the ones in, in immediate, under immediate threat. And that's because we're overridden by these, these thoughts that aren't real. If we just relied upon the feeling, it would allow us to say, you know, I don't feel as threatened as someone who's about to get hit and I'm fired back. Um, That's our problem. We bring in all of our history, our baggage and our experiences and we make out as if it's the worst that's going to happen each time based upon what's happened in the past. So we're unable to disassociate from the unimportant and the trivial from the past and we make it a big deal now and that adds to our fear. That's because people don't spend enough time, one, understanding themselves and two, introspecting at the end of each event or the end of each day. Now, you know, we might call it a debrief, we might call it whatever you like, but I'm not talking about teams, I'm not talking about instances of magnitude, I'm talking about the trite of the day. It still needs to be pondered daily. It still needs to be thought of. Why did it cause that reaction? Not, I reacted like a dick, that's bad, I shouldn't react like that again. But what caused that? And and what took me to that place? And is that justified? And that's the daily um, um, dance we need to have with ourselves so we better know ourselves. And that's what will change our behaviours going forward, therefore reduce fear. Mm. So I suppose it comes down to our capacity to live with uncertainty. Yes. The more uncertainty, the more yes. fear. And yes. can we, some people jump out of planes because mm. they're quite happy with uncertainty, whereas other people need everything to be in a spreadsheet because mm. it's important for them to have mm. certainty. So that battle between certainty and uncertainty is obviously constant in all mm. of us all the time. Sure. 
It's an inter- I agree with that. It's an interesting story about the adventurous ones who jump out of planes. I wouldn't jump out of a plane for anything, but I'm not a fearful person, but I, I would think that to be slightly insane to, to <laughs> j- jump out of a plane. And all it would teach me if I did it is that I could jump out of a plane. It wouldn't cause me to think anything else. I don't believe there's a natural correlation to the living of life. Um, I think being fit for the living of life is the living of life. Mm. And the problem we have is in avoiding it. Yeah, and in, in some respects, the jumping out of the plane is fearless, mm. but maybe fearful of being ordinary. Yes, yes. So there's, there's always fear and, and, you know, there's always something in there, isn't there, if you yeah. dig deep enough. Bless their hearts for doing it. It's just I don't see it as any need to prove myself in such a way. I prefer to get on and spend the time living. Mm. Can I ask a question about perfectionism? Yes. And the correlation between I'm a perfectionist and fear. Because boy, oh boy, we come across those people all the time. It will be related to what I was talking about with ego. Perfectionism, by and large, is going to be something that you bring forward. It's in you. And it means it's it's a part of your journey to either use or to overcome, depending upon what the situation is. But it's going to be driven in this life by your parents. Perfectionism will come because there's a high degree of expectation put upon you by your parents to achieve certain things, supported by a reward or supported by a punishment if you don't. So so you're not given something if you don't achieve what they want. And usually that's attention. And therefore, these people become, perfections become very third-party dependent. Again, lack of independence. So they get their... uh, rewards by someone telling them how especially brilliant they are and a perfectionist is also very defensive because they don't want to be wrong and they can't stand to be wrong so they'll defend their position beyond the necessary um, um, amount to defend their position so they um, then get into adult life and they're still third party dependent so they're they're concerned, they're fearful that they won't get the praise, they'll be excluded, they'll be in some way punished if they don't get it exactly right. And if they don't get the kudos that they look, they'll be de- that they need, they'll be devastated. That's the problem with perfection. So they, they're not able to find it within themselves to say, are you happy with this? That's all that matters. And if I was working with a perfectionist, that's all I'd be working on, uh, working upon. You don't need to be so third-party dependent you need to become more independent and more rely upon your own value judgment of yourself. Is this good enough for you? Is it good enough at this point in time? Would you like to be better in the future? Is it better than you were? They're the questions, and it just can't be that important what someone else thinks. So those fears come down to the fear of not being good enough, mm-hmm. the fear of not fitting in, mm-hmm. and the fear of not being loved. Uh-huh. Loved will come at the base of everything mm-hmm. because, because we have a need to be loved and everything will, will go to that. Maybe also not being protected. See, when there's a disaster in life, where do you go to? You go to your family when you're otherwise not necessarily close to your family and you'll go there because there's a culture of protectionism. <laughs> And, and so you can be embraced by someone. And if your parents are no longer alive, well, then a sibling will often step in and repeat what, what the parent did because they received the same. 
So protectionism and a fear of a loss of protectionism drives a lot of behavior as well. Mm. I love what you said earlier on about identifying the fear. Mm. It's so simple. Mm. So simple. Fear's a motherhood. It's mm. like anger. Anger's a nothing. Mm. It's just it's just a top level. The anger's irrelevant. Mm. You know, let's let's not concentrate on someone had an angry outburst and smashed a table. That's that's not the point. Mm. Mm. I really I think Except that's really the valuable. Table, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but to to under, to identify it and then as you say, Carla, then to feel it. And where mm. do you feel it in your body? And that's a clue. Sure. How know, important to... is, is this when I actually feel it? Yeah. What sort of an effect is it having upon me? But if but all of these things will be overcome by losing the tension and doing something outside of yourself. Mm. Go around the block. Mm. And if that's not enough, go around two blocks. Mm. But you know, that should fill you for a month. Yeah. Go around two blocks. You're just not thinking otherwise. So they're not they 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 become fearful of thought. Yeah, you're in motion, not a rabbit in a headlights. Yes. Mm. And which makes sense creatively. When you're not in fear, that is when they, in inverted commas, say you're in creative flow, which in my mind is when when we're feeling that creatively is when you are feeling a sense of peace and a sense of just who you are and being in the, the moment. Correct. And you're not thinking of second guessing. As a creative, I don't know, but I would imagine that if you're a self-employed creative your employer will be the populace at large who might be the receiver of your product. If you're trying to second guess how they will like it or not like it, there's a problem. That's not creative. It's just trying to please and appease what you believe or think that someone might like or want. You know, if you want to feel the, the world at large, just feel them. And, and then you might shoot your product towards that or aim it towards that. But by and large, second guessing is what stops creativity. Mm-hmm. I love that. And the second guessing, because we talk about gatekeepers all the time as well, and, and, and the gatekeepers are living their own version of fear. Mm. And that's, you know, whether they're going to lose their job or whether they're going to, mm. you know, waste some of their budget or whatever it is. So the more as creators we can not overcome our fear but identify it and and move forward with way more certainty Mm. that's going to give certainty to the gatekeeper who then can move that certainty up the line Mm. so purely from a you're more likely to get your show made if you are really clear and confident in what it is and what you're saying which Mm. is what we talk about all the time why now so that you can connect those purposes Mm. but that idea of you overcoming your fear enables others to overcome theirs correct correct Correct. If, you, if you, you're going before a, a, a panel of whomsoever and you're full of fear, they'll feel it. Mm. And, and they'll run away. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Correct. But, 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 Paul, it might be that you're very clear and you've put together the best product you can and you produce it to those who would judge that and they say no. Mm. That's You've still done everything you can. We can't be judged as a failure by others because a person at a point in time didn't like it. And we can ask them for input as to how we might improve, but we don't have to accept that input because it might be dash irrelevant or it might be relevant and therefore we have to listen. So it's being open, but 
also being self-aware. And that's also where it comes down to outcomes because you should be doing the work regardless of the outcome. Mm. So you never know when your fears are going to line up with someone or not. So it is just walking to the beat of your own drum. Mm. And if you can move from fear to fearless or that, or a sense of fearlessness, then it doesn't matter if the first hurdle gets Mm. in the way, you keep going um, and and you go, and and sometimes that can be slightly delusional and that's fine. If it keeps you moving forward Um, at some point, you've got to take the messages, Mm. you know, if it's no, 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 and continues to be no with no sign of yes, then that's when it might be worth, you know, checking back in. Mm. But um, but that over once the gate, if the gatekeeper closes the gate, at that point, you do need to be fearless, mm. especially in in an industry like ours or in any industry, I suppose. Correct. There's one one other aspect to this. If you go down a, a country lane in in a farming zone, and more likely a dirt road, and it's kangaroo territory, or wild enough, or raw enough, natural enough to have all sorts of animals there. There's a continuous flow of dead kangaroos or wombats by the side of the road. And I'm putting to you that they're fearless, except at the point of, you know, facing death, and they probably don't know it until it hits them because they don't recognise <laughs> the car as a threat. Exactly. <laughs> but they keep doing it. Therefore, the fearlessness is good but there's a lack of awareness. And that's what we humans need. We need to develop a fearlessness, but we need to be aware of our environment back to where we were before because fearlessness for the sake of it is stupidity. Mm-hmm. Well, it says to me that fear is also important. You know, yes, like it it's really important to have fear because otherwise you do end up as a wombat on the side of the road. Um, it's just what you choose to do with it, right? Mm. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> that's that's where the thought, our ability to think, it becomes important because we're meant to choose. We're meant to be able to think and choose when we're fearful, and when it's important. We're meant to decide, and we can't just be fearful because that's what we're used to. Where is the biggest gift in fear? The biggest gift in fear is in what we fear. A lot of people fear being alone, which causes them to reach out to be with other people. That's a good thing. It's not so good if they reach out in the wrong way. A lot of people fear a lack of love, which causes them to strive for relationships and love. That's a good thing because the world has to be connected. So they're the, they're the gifts. It's what we fear that can cause a positive action. So there's a gift in fear if you don't concentrate on the wrapping paper. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. No, it's true. And, and <laughs> That's right. If, you, if, if you're looking for the depth and, and, and not just the veneer. Mm. Well, may we all go out and feel the fear rather than face the fear. Yeah, feel it and, and mostly reject it. Hit delete. (laughs) As long as you identify it. Correct. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) 
Out of the Box is produced by Studio 720. Imagine your world differently. Listener.